what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan Jackson, and this me is Chris Fry. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing good. Long time coming, waiting to review the film that we're going to talk about today. Yes. This is it, people. We're super excited. We are going to be reviewing... The latest Star Wars film, The Last Jedi, in just a few moments. And then right after that review discussion, we're going to be reviewing another film called The Florida Project. Uh, another big budget, big spectacle, special right. effects driven film. Right. right. Not quite. <laughs> and then we're going to move on to our movie news for the episode and our recommendation of the episode like we always like to do at the end of the episode. Again, this is Foot Candle Films. This is our film review and discussion show. Chris and I are going to jump right into our first couple of reviews, starting off with the big one, the one we've been waiting for uh, probably, I guess, about two years to discuss, and that is the latest Star Wars Episode Eight, directed by Ryan Johnson, The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi is episode eight, which is the middle chapter of the new trilogy, the the uh, episode seven, eight, nine, which follows the original trilogy from back in the 70s and 80s. We had The Force Awakens two years ago, I believe. That was episode seven. Right. Helmed by J.J. Abrams. Now we're on to episode eight, The Last Jedi, helmed by Ryan Johnson, um, wrote and directed by Ryan Johnson. So, Chris, I could go through the whole plot summary and all that, but I, I'm going to steer to another way of looking at this film. I'm fascinated by... You're going to say, am I on Team Porg or Team Ice Fox? No, although that's kind of cool, too. So, okay. taking two new characters or types of animals from the new film. No, I'm going to something I see as an interesting phenomenon happening right now with this film. This movie is making a lot of money right now, but... If you go look at two metrics that are used for evaluating this film, critics and audiences. Critics using the tomato meter, which again, we can kind of find fault with how that tomato meter, (laughs) we can find fault on how that process works. I do think there's fault in the way you look at this Rotten Tomato score. However, critics, 93%, as of right now, when I'm pulling up this this, this chart, 93% say this is a good movie. Critics. Gotcha. Audience, 56%. Just over half. Okay. Saying they liked it. When I walked out of the theater, um, I think later that day, I, I'm on record that I had not seen trailers and stuff for this movie. I'd seen the very teaser, hadn't seen a trailer. I wanted to watch 
the trailer that everybody else in the world had apparently seen. When I went to like when I went to find the trailer, I saw a tomato thermometer thing, and I saw the correct thing. At that time, when I looked at it, it was fifteen percent. Okay, for audience, so well, it's, it's actually gone up a little but bit. Still, fifty six is <laughs> oh, like tied. No, I, it's tied with Attack of the Clones. It is wow. like the lowest of the wow. eight films that have come out so far. Okay. Okay. Critics are up there high with the best of the crit- the Star Wars films. Audiences are in the low. Now, so my question to you, Chris. Sure. Star Wars uh, The Last Jedi spends a lot of its time talking about the dual nature of things, the dark and the light, the good and the bad, and the balance that has to happen between these two. Yes. So I'm going against the Star Wars philosophy and saying, no, I want you to make a binary decision right now. Who, if you had to side more with, are you siding more with the critics' evaluation of this film, or are you siding more with what the audiences are saying according to these two metrics I'm looking at? Who are you more in line with? Pick a side, one side. Wow. Normally, something like that would like stress me way out, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to do it. But this, this is a no-brainer. It's, it's with the critics. Yeah, absolutely. So you liked it? I liked it. Now, am I saying it is flawless? No. But mm-hmm. no movie is. And if you look at this movie, and if you listen to one of the lines that Luke Skywalker actually says, let go of the past. Um, you are you know, gaining too much in the past. You've built me up to be this mythic figure. You've built these movies up to be some mythic thing. Let it mm. go. It is a movie. It is not the Holy Grail. Just, you know, let it go. Not the Holy Grail, the movie by Monty Python. But, you know, it's just, and I think, is this movie perfect? No. If I'd seen it when I was eight or ten years old, would I think it was perfect? Absolutely. I would love it, think there's nothing wrong with it. My take, there again, I don't, I haven't, like, delved into the comments on the internet mm-hmm. about the people, the fans that are mm-hmm. rating it 15 when I saw it percent, 53% apparently right now as of this recording. People hold this franchise, these movies, to such a high standard. And basically, from what I can kind of hear, it's like if you deviate from what they deem to be the way you should make something, they freak out. It's like the whole Ghostbusters, but it was cast with all women type syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I have no sympathy for that. So rare instance where making a black or white decision is actually pretty easy for me. I'd totally go with the critics on that. Chris, I... You know, we're getting to a point now where we're going to have a new Star Wars movie about every year. But Co- I correct whether it's, it's some form of Star Wars. That's or right. Outside, so I've gotten to a point. It's actually become a little bit of a tradition. I honestly look forward to this conversation, <laughs> and I look forward to that first sentence to come out of your mouth when asked the question, "Do you like this film or not?" Because that stems off whether this is going to be a disagreeable, contentious <laughs> argument, or whether it's going to be a love fest that we both chime in on. But I'm also also very interested in your opinions. You know, I know you and I saw it at different times, and I was all tempted over the weekend to want to text you and say, I don't care about the review. Just tell me, do you like it me. or not? Right. Um, I freaking love this film. Okay. I thought it was great. And okay. yes, not perfect, but I loved it. And it spoke to me on enough of an emotional level, and a little bit of nostalgia, but yet not dwelling so much on the nostalgia. Right. Harkening back to enough of the things I love about this whole series, but yet giving me so many new things too. It just, it worked. I liked it better than force awakens. I think it is a stronger film personally. I think it has a lot more going on for it. I think it's a more original film. There are flaws and there's definitely portions of the film. I think were either very poorly done or not necessary at all. 
But overall, start to finish, the, I have to look at the package as a whole. I think it's a great film. It's definitely, for me, I like it better than Force Awakens. I absolutely love it more than any of the prequels. Sure. It is up in that original trilogy category. I don't know where it bounces around in there, but it's somewhere up in that category for me. Yeah, I think you and I are more or less on the same page. Um, walking out of the theater, I had a problem saying if I liked it better than Force Awakens or okay. not. All right. And I'll kind of get into that. Um Force Awakens, if you hearken back to our review, you can find it on Apple iTunes and the website. I liked it, but my initial, and unfortunately, you've seen this movie twice. I've only seen it once as of this recording, but I plan to see it again, which tells you how much I liked it. But on walking out of the theater, I liked it, but there was something about it that kind of made me have reservations, and I wasn't Mm -hmm. really sure, and I'm still trying to pick that apart. I think a second viewing will help me kind of solidify maybe what it was that kind of got me on even ground. Force Awakens, I walked out saying I liked it, and I knew exactly, but I was like, it's not perfect, and I know the number one thing that's bothering me about it, it's too derivative. Derivative, yeah. But once I saw it a second time, I was like, ah, who cares? It was well made. Just kick back, have fun with it. Have fun, relax. This isn't meant to be some Oscar-nominated thing where you're supposed to get a lot of, you know, just relax, you know? Mm -hmm. So with this one, I walked out, and I was pleased with how it wasn't so derivative. That was my number one thing. Yes, it still has nods and winks Mm -hmm. and all that, which is fine. So it's fan service to an extent, but it is not concerned with what people may or may not think about where it's going. And that's what I really liked about it. And maybe, you know, I did have a little bit of fanboy in me that was kind of like, wait, you can't do that. That Mm -hmm. shit. But I think definitely upon a second viewing, I'll be willing to let some of that go. And I I already like the movie. It's not going to keep me from liking it, but there were just some things that, you know, weird for me for a Star Wars movie that I feel like I need to watch it again to understand it because it's not like you no really it's true think. but that's a good thing no I don't it's think true that's necessarily I, a bad thing i will tell you this i enjoyed it more the second time okay i did i loved it the first time i came out of it went with my whole, whole family to see it the second time and liked it even more and neither one of us just the side note because it is available and neither one of us saw it in 3d oh no right and no. i i made a point of not doing that the first time because i didn't want to be distracted by it so yeah let's talk about some things we liked about it and then we can go into some well, areas that being so, so positive do mm-hmm. you want to tear it down first or you want to build it well, we'll we'll build it up i mean not that we need to yeah build let's build it up first okay. let's talk okay. about the biggest things sure. that we came away with and then let's we're also going to counter because i think you and i both have some concerns about the film or some things that didn't work as well and we can sure. definitely collaborate on those but let's talk about kind of the biggest positive aspects you mentioned one already that I echo is, is that this film didn't seem to be as derivative as the force awakens was mm-hmm. now somebody I know you can nitpick this and say, well, there's a lot of scenes and moments that very similar to empire strikes back or return of the Jedi. And yes, there right. are, if you really want to try to find those similarities that are there, but I felt like as a whole, the movie really did work more as an original story, even though it had shades of those older films where force awakens, I felt like honestly, was so many a note for note, note yeah. for note recreation of a new it was hope. kind of a greatest hits and a cover greatest hits. Yeah. Like, you know. So uh, the originality, yeah. I mean, let's take the fact that, you know, there's uh, no death star. There's no death star, which is great. <laughs> yep. Um, the whole story is taking place, which is really interesting as almost like a chase, you know, the whole space sequencing it's, is it's, so unique. You it's know? master and commander in space. Yeah, it was. It's, it's like, like constantly outrunning these one ships. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah. The fact that everything except for what happened with Ray and Luke happened basically on these ships right. like, until the very end. 
And, you know, it reminded me actually of one of my favorite episodes of the, the, the later version of Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. where it's constantly like they're having to jump ahead to try to outrun this, this, this issue. And they're having to strategically think about how you do that. That was a big part of this film. And that's not something that's a, a typical storyline in a Star Wars movie. Um, the fact that most of the characters are on a fairly confined space on these spaceships is also kind of interesting. Even though they did have the whole typical Star Wars thing of jumping to planets, but still, like you're saying, confined action. Most action was still happening on one or two ships right. that we were following. Um, I love that. I thought that was great. It was a, you know, somebody said, you know, I've heard people say that the, uh, the planet they end up on at one point in the film, not going to explain where or when, um, resembled Hoth, the ice planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Visually, you look at it, you think it's, a, it's an ice planet, but then when you actually get to spend more time on the planet, you realize, no, it's actually very different and has a very different aesthetic to it. Its own personality, which is, I call again, it the salt great. planet. It's the salt planet, yeah. And just the visuals that went along with that, I thought, were amazing. Um, yeah. The scout who scouted that place and whoever made that, whether it's Ryan Johnson, the director, or maybe just the location scout, and they got that place, and they decided on that. That is that is genius. That I think that it great. needs to be like an Acad- special Academy Award given to the person who location scouted that. Or if it was Ryan Johnson's original idea, say like that's one of the most original ideas for shooting somewhere, and man, did it work! It did. <laughs> now, I mean, there's actually two visual set pieces in the film I thought were stunning. That one, and then you've got um, Snoke's throne room or whatever his yes. palace mm-hmm. room. Gotcha. Where you have some big a big action sequence there and some some revelations, those two visually the use of red and just the both beautiful beautiful scenes that I don't think I've seen in another Star Wars movie that look that production design so unique from what we've seen in other films. Um, so the look of the film I'm totally in favor of. I think was great. I'll say another positive I had is I thought the acting. Almost top to bottom, with a couple of exceptions that okay. I'll mention in my concerns. Okay. Um, it's no surprise to anybody that Luke Skywalker is a character in this film. Sure. And I will say that I thought Mark Hamill was really, really good. Um, I was never a Luke Skywalker fan back in the original trilogy. I thought Luke was a little kind of a whiny brat and maybe a little too selfish at times. Han Solo was the one I liked because he came across as a scoundrel, but he had a heart of gold down deep. And I liked that conflict. Luke always just kind of rubbed me a little you know what, annoying. You know, you know what's really weird about yeah. that for me? And I'm, you know, you and I are close in age and mm-hmm. I remember loving the movies as a kid, but for some reason, and I don't know why, I think it was because I was just such a nerd mm-hmm. that I didn't have a favorite. Didn't like, have a favorite. Now no, when I, I got older and I got to like high school and I would be rewatching these movies and I'd be like, wow, yeah, Luke is kind of like annoying. Yeah. But as a kid, like I just – and I didn't have – like I liked Luke and Han equally. Like didn't even care. Well, but like, here's what I tell even, you. So it's weird that yeah. you bring that up. But, well, yeah. here's what I love about this movie, this Last Jedi. They totally play with that. Yeah, they play they with do. this notion of Luke was kind of a whiny brat kid. Right. And he kind of acknowledges it at times. Yeah. I mean he has some interactions with a couple of key characters that harken back to his old self and you're like, Oh yeah, they totally get that. That's the way he is. And sometimes people are just having to kind of like shake him out of it and be like, no, don't stop being that way. And it's like, you're acknowledging that. Yeah, this is kind of the kid he was in the old films and he's still that way a little bit. Um, I just thought they played him perfectly. He's matured, but he hasn't become like a completely different person. He is still kind of at heart, the same person he was in the original trilogy. I think 
I was nervous because I know Mark Hamill's done a lot of voice work, yeah. but I haven't really seen him act since those original movies. And I was kind of nervous. And at the first star of the movie, when you get to finally hear him talk, because you didn't, you saw him mm-hmm. in uh, Force Awakens, but you didn't hear him talk. I was like, okay. And at the beginning, it was kind of, I was worried that it was going to fall into the stereotype of just curmudgeon. And yeah. oh, I'm going to be as this cranky old man and, you know, get off my lawn, Ray. And, <laughs> you know, but it wasn't that. It was so much more than that. It was a lot more nuanced. Uh, you've referenced some interactions that he has mm-hmm. with some characters from the original uh, series, our trilogy. And yes, those were a surprise. And, I thought they were good. And those could have been really mishandled. Oh, no. They could have been and extremely played for sentiment. And they actually, but they actually had a part to play in the story. They actually propelled the story along. They actually you know, were there for a reason as opposed to just being fan service. You know? And I mentioned one of the lines that I liked from this film. And I, I think it was Luke who said it, but it may be somebody else because I've only seen it once. Mm-hmm. And everything was kind of flooding at me. The line was like, let go of the past. I know at yeah. some point Kylo Ren says it, but I think it had even been said before then. It said to somebody talking to, to Luke. Okay. Which, okay. Okay. Yes. Another line <laughs> that's also said um, to Luke or, you know, it comes about as a conversation is failure is our greatest teacher. Mm-hmm. And the way – so Luke kind of has an aha moment, but it's also the way other characters in this film are forced to reckon with that is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, and I wasn't expecting that. So you know, the more I reflect on it, the more I like it. I think, honestly, the reason why I walked out a little unsure was just because it was new, and mm-hmm. you know we fear mm-hmm. new things in the yes. Star Wars universe. We love the new movies, can't wait to see them, but then with the things we don't understand yet, or think we're kind of a little afraid or tentative around them, this movie kind of it does jump around a lot has Mm -hmm. characters being apart from one another and kind of you're like whoa wait what and whether that's just necessary for the script for the plot whereas force awakens you feel like is more kind of linear Mm -hmm. you know this not that this isn't linear it is but it it does have some flashbacks and it just yeah it's kind of unless you know the end point of the story you can maybe get a little lost and you're trying to like catch up maybe a little bit right but i think on reflection it just makes it that much better. And on a second viewing, that much second more Second viewing, it all clicks in a lot more. Just I love the second viewing because I know what beats to look for, but I was also able to pay attention more to the plot story elements of why they're doing the things they're doing. Um, another thing I will say I loved about this film, The Force Awakens, the biggest compliment I gave it is that they introduced some really interesting characters that I wanted to spend more time with. Okay. And if anything, I felt like a couple of them got a short shift in Force Awakens. Poe Dameron, introduced in The Force Awakens, had very little to do in that film. He had a couple of scenes, and that was about it. And it was really disappointing because he just seemed like a really interesting character, someone I kind of wanted to see more scenes with. So I am happy that he got more face time, more screen time in this film, for sure. Finn... um, also, someone had a little bit more to do in Force Awakens. He's got some to do here. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the subplot that he and another character went on. I thought that was the weakest part of the film I, and um, needed to be exercised out of there. Agree. Yeah. I don't, I'll actually compound that. And I'll go ahead and yeah. mention her name, uh, Rose. Yeah. I don't understand why they introduced her at all. And I don't. Well, the whole subplot is. They're trying to develop her, but I'm kind of like, yeah, but you'd already introduced these new characters in the first movie. We're supposed to grow with them in this movie, and then we have the results in episode nine. I agree. Um, 
I think I understand what they were. Some points obviously are very blatant that they're trying yeah. to do with that, but I just think it ends up weighing the movie down. Now the Rose character got introduced. She's kind of a mechanic role almost. And, and, and she becomes friends with Finn and goes on side adventure with him trying to, to think I like her as a character. It's just, I, I agree with you. I don't need another new character introduced. I feel like you've introduced so many great new characters in episode seven. I want you to develop them all. And Spend I, more time with Finn, with Poe, with Ray, you know, uh, even on the bad, uh, even on the enemy side, uh, General Hux, Snoke, uh, Kylo Ren, all those characters are ones I wanted to spend more time with and know more about. You drop a new character in with Rose. She's a fine character, but it's just it's, it's just too much. It was too much to add in this film. It's, and I really didn't think it was necessary. I mean, I there was I so much. Like, this necess- film would have been successful without the entire sequence that takes place. There's a casino planet they go to with some sort of form of horse racing. And it's this whole little side subplot that honestly, they all that could have been gone. There's an easy way to stitch this story together and make it work without that whole excursion. <laughs> Since we're playing doctors, yes. film doctors and things, I agree. I think Rose, interesting character, great, but just too many balls to juggle, too many That's things right. going up in the air. Yep. What my, comp- I think actually you could keep maybe the casino storyline, trim it. And instead of going on the mission with Rose, have Poe Dameron go with Finn because I felt that Poe was irritatingly underused. He was still underused compared to what I wanted. Right. He was better used than he was in episode seven. True. But I feel like he was almost kind of lip service paid attention to and not really as strong as I wanted to because we all know Oscar Isaac is amazing. He's a great actor. He's so good in this too. Um, And he he was good, but I just felt like, and the scenes when he did have with Finn, I was like, yay. You know? yeah, I know. But um, I just, yeah, so that, that was a, a struggle for me was that the Rose character, I, under, I just felt like she needed her own movie or, or something. Uh-huh. It was not necessary well, to put her in. And I'll say the whole excursion on the casino planet and then a, a big action sequence that happens there uh, was the closest thing to the prequels to me. It just, mm. it was just Interesting. Kind of oddly out of place with the rest of the film. Yeah. Kind of an odd universe that I didn't really feel like fit with the rest of the film. Interesting. And then you've got this big CGI chase scene that really adds nothing to the film. And just, it was very prequel-ish to me. And one of the things I didn't like about the prequels is I felt like they were hopping around to so many different planets. And they were having these random adventures that made no sense to the rest of the story. That's how I was feeling in that 15-minute span of that, that sequence. Hmm. So I would have loved an edit version of this where that whole sequence didn't happen. And right. I think they could have gotten to point, from point A to point B in a much cleaner way without all the necessary diversions that just to show off this set piece in I, this action sequence. See, that's where I, I, I hear what you're saying. Slight mm-hmm. disagreement. I think it was important to have that. Just needs to be edited down and drop Rose out of it, and that, because I think yeah. the failure aspect is important in that. Okay, it could to have been. show failure for all the different could have been parties. Involved. I think they could have done no, but but I guess and again not to get into spoiler. Right when we, they actually I think we've done a pretty good job dancing when, around spoilers during that subplot when they actually mm-hmm. got onto the enemy ship. Well, I was like, I can say that's sure. pretty broad. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. It was the whole go to this planet to find this person. And then yeah. bring them to the. You could have gotten from we're on the resistance ships to getting to the enemy ships, and we need this one person. There's other ways they could have found that person. Yeah. Then having to go down to a whole other planet, have this whole big action scene. Yeah. And then come mm-hmm. back and just 
And plus, also the time frame. I mean, I got the I got the impression the whole time the resistance was kind of on a really short time window. Mm. But yet they were going down the casino planet. They were having like conversations on the balcony, talking about you know, like okay. But you know, I seem to remember that they are kind of running short on fuel up in the sky right now. Let's get a move on. <laughs> you know, why are you spending twenty minutes of our movie down on this planet? That was my biggest gripe about the film. Is I just felt like that middle sequence portion off the main storylines didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. It, it just didn't work. Okay. Um, but going back to the positives, uh, Adam Driver's Kylo Ren, I thought was again, very, very good. Yeah. I love what they've done with his character where it's not easy to classify him. It's not an easy label to put on him. I liked the performance that Daisy Ridley gave as Ray. I thought was also just kept in line with what was a great introduction in episode seven, both these characters. It was a nice progression of their story. I agree with that. Um, I thought there was some really great, interesting choices from a craftsmanship viewpoint of filmmaking. Most notably, the conversations Ray and, and Kyler Ren were having when they were not together. Yes. Um, the way Ryan Johnson shot those and presented those, it was jarring at first when you watched it. Was. It. it was. But once you got the rhythm and understood what he was doing, it totally worked for me. And I yeah. think that's something that Jarring for me, second viewing will make it a lot smoother because okay. I kind of know what's going on. Yeah, um, But yeah, that was it was just some nice choices with that. I thought that worked for me. So, I mean, I think I'll pile on the positives before we get sure. um, the reveal of race parents. Yes. Or, you know, kind of that people felt like that was going to be addressed and it definitely is addressed. It was. And that was that was or was it that? We'll go to. We'll that talk was, about that later. That was satisfying yeah, for okay. me. Um, the reveal, which I don't know if you can call it a reveal because you saw him in the first meet, but the reveal of Snoke more and his storyline and also very satisfying for me. Those two things were. You got some good background satisfying. information on Snoke that yes. even just from a couple of scenes where he has some dialogue, you you know a little more about where he's coming from and kind of what he's trying to do, which was nice. So I yeah. agree with that too. So those are those are the positives. I will I will <laughs> say as another positive, I thought the last 20, 30 minutes of this film is probably some of the best Star Wars scenes and action I've ever seen. Salt Planet. Mostly the Salt Planet, but even the little bit leading up to the Salt Planet, okay. I thought was just some really, really good Star Wars. I mean Again, probably I could watch the whole Salt Planet sequence over and over again, and it's still probably my favorite Star Wars moments I got you. I've ever had in the whole saga. Got you. Um, the being with a larger audience the second time I saw it with my entire family and waiting mm-hmm. for them for certain moments to hit <laughs> that I knew were coming is an extremely satisfying way to watch the film. So, yes. Um, so let's talk about some things that maybe didn't work. Okay. I mentioned the whole casinos planet sequence again. I think you and I are both on the same page. We just have different thoughts about how to adjust it, but that's definitely, that is a weak point for me. Yes. I I think the introduction of Rose was too many characters. I wanted more time with Poe. I wanted more time with Finn. I wanted more time. My uh, Captain uh, Phasma. I wanted more time with General Hux. I wanted more time with Snoke. All these other characters that were introduced last episode, I wanted more time with, but yet they spent so much time with a new character that just, I didn't need another new character right now. You mentioned, let me touch on General Hux 
uh, we're starting to veer into negatives, but he was a weakness in the first movie for me. Okay. Um, and I love Donald Gleason, the actor who portrays him. In one sense, I was like, oh, man, it's just the way that he's doing the character. Mm-hmm. But I have a theory, which I can't get into um, because it would be spoilers. But now I'm more on board with the way he's doing General Hawks. And okay. I'm really curious. Believe it or not, he's one of the <laughs> – I am curious to see where that mo- character goes mm. in the next movie. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because of the way, like, you know, Donald Gleason's very talented. But in the, in the first film, he, to me, he was just grating. And he was kind of stereotypical, mm-hmm. maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh, bad guy. And in this film, he has some moments where like, I'm like, okay, he's still kind of sticking with that shtick of being. But but I, there's a little we'll, more to it. We'll there's see. There's more to it. Yep, I agree. Yep. I, I, that's an interesting development of where that character's going. Um. And this is a very minor point, but I'll just say from a from a film that I thought was so elegant and beautiful to watch and shot so well, and the sequences just all worked action sequences, there is a moment that Carrie Fisher has. Oh, man. Yes. That just didn't work for me. Um, it was early, a visual... It's early, it's early in the film. It was a visual scene that she had. Gliding. Yeah, I'll just say it's gliding for those who haven't seen the movie. Leia that was very watching that was almost comical. Yes. And Which I know it's, it's not, not meant to be, be comical. Nope. That I can't say much more about it without giving too much away, but I, it was a moment where I thought they had, were going to be taking the Leia storyline to a certain conclusion. They opted to change our perception of that in the way that that was resolved. I did not like and I thought it was actually clumsy. It kind of was a little cheesy. It was very goofy. cheesy. It actually got kind of groans a little bit from the audience watching it, even from me, I think. Yeah. So that was one moment that just did not work. Then I mentioned the whole sequence off the main storyline that did not work for me. That was more like the George Lucas prequels than I wanted it to be. Beyond that, I don't really have anything. Got two more. Chris? Got two more. Take, throw um, them out there and see if I agree. We had talked about this prior to this movie starting, you know, in a little bit on the podcast about Porgs. Oh, right. And I was nervous. That was the thing. Like I hadn't seen the trailers, but I had seen images on the internet and then I would like steer away from it. But just the image of the Porg to me was like, Oh dear. Oh dear. And I was afraid it was going to be a jar jar. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is not a jar jar, but I still find it kind of annoying. I liked them. And all I'll say <laughs> is, I was kind of, I was ambivalent. I was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. I can overlook it. There was a Chewbacca moment that I thought was amazing. And if mm-hmm. they'd let it go at that, then I would have, I would have been fine with it. Yeah. But they kept, okay. they kept going with it, which caused me to roll my eyes. Now, it, mm. then we have crystal foxes or salt foxes, mm, I guess yeah. is what they are. When I saw the salt foxes, I was like, come on, come on. However, the salt foxes had a redeeming moment that mm-hmm. the porgs were never given. Yes. So I'll excuse the salt foxes, but <laughs> I was like, I just, it was an eye roll when I saw the salt foxes, but at least they have a redeeming. So that's this one thing. Now, um, this isn't spoilers, I guess, because I'm not going to get in, but the use of Maz Kanata, which oh, kind yeah. of kicks off the whole yeah. subplot that you're talking about, yes. the gambling planet. 
so very irritating. No, it was not good. I, I just don't understand. Well, actually, that's probably where my understand. frustration started with that scene. You're the way like, it was what? set up, and all of a sudden, now it's becoming like a spy caper movie. Like, look for the person that has this. I'm like, ugh, I don't like where this is going. And then the fact that they sent Fan and Rose, and it was, it just didn't work. But yeah, you're right. Her scene, the way she was brought in at that one moment. Right. This one scene, it was a, it was a, it was another prequel moment for me. Well, and it may be kind yeah. of forced where, oh, this is a character that a lot of people liked in Force Awakens. So we've got to give her some type of cameo in this movie. And yeah, it was. It didn't work. It, not for me. No, I, I agree. I, I don't agree with you on the Porgs. I thought they were fine. <laughs> they did not impact the storyline. They were not Ewoks. They did not like come See, in. They'd be heroes or anything. Okay. They just added every once in a while when there was a moment of real tension, they just kind of gave a nice little break every once in a while with some visuals, uh, gags. Again, very quick. Their scenes were never more than a few seconds each. I was fine with their use. Um, See, the Ewok thing is something that I can't judge as an adult. Because when I saw them originally, loved them. I loved them. We loved the Ewoks. And they had kids. an important part to play in the story and everything. Now, if I watch it, yeah, it can be kind of annoying. Yes. So that's one of the things that it's just hard to judge with Well, Jar Jar, age. though, Jar Jar Binks so. in episode one drove a lot of the storyline. And that was what was a problem. Right. Is that you counted on a character that was only there for comic relief, driving so much of the storyline, being so necessary for the story was what didn't work. The Porgs are just... All right, we got it. We need a little quick flash of humor here. Here's a pork doing something funny. Okay, great. And I was fine with it. I actually thought the, the scenes were funny. I just funny. thought they were overused. Just if they'd stopped at that one point. Yeah, the but. silver foxes, all, the, the, the salt foxes, I'll agree. When I first saw them, I'm like, yeah, I don't like this. I don't need a CGI. <laughs> oh, I don't need CGI characters running yeah, around because the scene's so good. Every planet doesn't have to have a CGI character. But then there was some reason for them to be there, and it kind of worked. I'm like, all right, I get it. I'm good with that too. Right. So that that was that was your issues. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, not too bad. No, no, and I think a second viewing will, you know, I, uh, win me over. I, I like the film, but I think, you know, here's the way I choose. I'll close out with this. The original three, I think it's pretty general knowledge. Everybody says Empire. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. If you have to rate the prequels, I would say, you know, and I have in my mind, Phantom Menace, I thought was the best of the three. Mm. And I don't, even try to mash up the prequels with the originals because I feel like you just can't judge them because one, you're seeing with nostalgia, the other one, you're not. Well, plus the prequels are way, way far behind (laughs) the originals anyway. Well, I mean, that's the thing that I can't judge because I'm an adult. Oh, I can rate them all. So with the, with the upcoming, we've got two and the third, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see if JJ Adams, who's returning can make episode nine better than episode eight or will it, you know, because I think that's how I have to judge them is I have to compartmentalize them in three, three, and three. Like I can't, you know. Well, I'm saying right now, I mean, Empire still is obviously a very special place in my heart. It's one that when I was a kid and I saw them for the first time, Return of the Jedi was my favorite because it hit me at the right time. Right. But as I go back and watch them all, I'm like, no, Empire is definitely a better movie. There's no doubt about it. Got you. I will say I enjoyed Last Jedi as much as I enjoyed Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. Where it ranks with those, I haven't decided yet. Right. I, it's a hard um, thing. I don't. But think I will I... say I liked it better than Force Awakens. It is leaps and bounds above the prequels. Um, and I probably can say I like it better than the original Star Wars because I will say this: the original Star Wars is a classic. 
But it's also the clumsier movie oh. of the three. It's older. It just doesn't have quite this charm to it. Doesn't really hold up. It doesn't really. Yeah. So I can say with pretty certainty that, you know, this film right now is vying for a Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi type rating area for gotcha. me. So it is upper echelon Star Wars work for me. I, I loved it. I thought it was just a really great piece of entertainment. I'm a little disappointed that Ryan Johnson is not going to be doing episode nine. Me too. Because I actually feel like, and I'm not going to spoil anything, I feel like he buttoned up a lot of things that he wanted to button up, which was great. But it also leaves me a little questionable about exactly where they're going to go with episode nine. And that's all I can say about that. Sure. It's just, I kind of wish. At it, one time, he was slated as also writing nine is that not true is did he's he, not writing nine not I, at all no okay. i don't believe yeah. so hmm. yeah so he's moving on to this new trilogy altogether right. which this film gives me really great hope that that new trilogy could be pretty cool if he's got a chance to build his own characters his own worlds out of this awesome go for it because he mm-hmm. showed me in this film he knows how to do it so mm-hmm. i'm I'm very. I, I'm more excited about Star Wars after this film than I was coming out of Force Awakens, which is crazy to think. But I actually am more excited about it and um, loved what he did here. So. Okay, yeah, I, I'm. I'm a fan. <laughs> okay, awesome. So that is Star Wars: The Last Jedi. It'll be in movie theaters until probably yeah you know, next Christmas. Next Christmas. <laughs> so go check it out, and then we'll be look forward to talking about our next Star Wars movie coming next year, which is the Solo solo movie right. <laughs> so, right, yeah. by mr ron howard all right <laughs> man you're tough <laughs> let's move on to our next review which is uh the smaller independent film called the florida project If you're working, who's looking after money? You're not my father. I don't want to be your you father. You can't treat me like this. Sean Baker, the director of the Florida Project, had a film called Tangerine, which Alan, you and I both saw, and we I did. believe we reviewed on the show. We did. That film uh, was very independently stylized. It was shot on iPhones. Mm-hmm. Um, had. I believe first time actors in it as well, which Florida project has some of those. Um, and it was told the story was based out in California, not mm-hmm. Florida, yep. but based out in California. And it was marginalized people that were, um, basically prostitutes mm-hmm. and it kind of told their story and kind of did a very slice of life, I believe maybe within 24 hours. Yeah. It was a fairly defined short uh, time frame, So even the course of a night or something. So it was like a very short time period. That it was covering. You and I were both favorable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For Tangerine. Florida Project, we have a similar film, obviously based in Florida, set over one summer, mm-hmm. and it follows a six-year-old named Mooney, mm-hmm. played by Brooklyn Prince, and her adventures kind of running around hotels that are kind of on a strip that's not, not the... I guess, desired destination location anymore. Right. Probably 20 years ago it was, um, which I have a little asterisk that I'll put by that. Um, okay. <laughs> but, 20, you know, but now it's the hotels and areas have probably seen, seen better days. Yes. Um, she you know, runs around with her playmates and is rebellious, and her mother is struggling to kind of make ends meet and pay. Because basically it, 
even though it's a hotel, it basically becomes kind of an extended stay. The people are there for days on end, yes. sometimes even up to over a month, you know, and uh, that's kind of a little bit of a point in one of the points of the film as well. So, right. So with the Florida Project, Alan, do you feel like you were do you were you interested to see how Sean Baker came and took this idea and gave it a similar feel as Tangerine? Mm-hmm. Or do you wish he would have picked another project for his second follow up film or you felt like you were even though it was kids and it was in Florida, you were kind of seeing more of the same with Tangerine and you were it yeah. left you kind of wanting more. Well, I, I will say that the, the filmmaking style, very, very similar. It's almost like I almost saw this as a companion piece to Tangerine and that it is very similar structured mm-hmm. um, where Tangerine was over the course, I think, of a night. I this is over so. the course of a summer or right. basically a summer. Um, I would say maybe we we're looking at 40, 50 days if I had to guess kind of time frame of this. Um, it's all very almost documentary in style, even though it's all acted, but you can tell there's a lot of improvisation, a lot of ad-libbing going on with the script. And the idea is once again, showing a slice of culture that many of us are just not familiar with, maybe even sometimes not comfortable with um, that really does exist. And that's, that's the biggest acclaim I can give to the films. I love any film that does a really great job of putting you right in the middle of a portion of our society that we just don't get to see or doesn't get attention or we maybe as a society try to push aside and sweep under the rug sometimes so this definitely continued that same path and i was perfectly fine with that okay i really felt like i was watching like a brother sister film companion film like there was a part of a series almost this film for me is such an interesting film and i mean tangerine was a little bit the same way too you know, with Tangerine, I, I, I found myself never always knowing if it, I felt like I should laugh because it had moments of humor, whether I should be really upset because what I'm seeing is kind of traumatic and worrisome. It got amplified here with the Florida Project. I mean, it went from moments where it was some moments. It was the oddest mix of a film to have moments of joy completely countered by moments of despair. Moments of fantasy, even to some degree, especially in certain key moments of the film, with the gritty realism that the majority of the film brings. It's just this interesting blend, um, which I liked. I mean, I like mm-hmm. the fact that they could have kept this as being just gritty, gritty realism and just focus on that, but they didn't. They also could have gone and said, let's just focus everything on the kids and let's let the kids be just having their, their adventures and they didn't do that either. I mean, it was a really great blend of just never, never letting you feel comfortable with what you're seeing. Which I thought it's just a really interesting film. It's a hard film for me to say I enjoyed. Okay. I did greatly appreciate it though. Um, but it was, it was a tougher watch than I expected. And it hit me a few times a lot tougher than I expected as well. Got a little dusty in the theater? It did. Yeah. And there were some moments, not not in the sentimental side, except for one moment. But the rest of the moments were just more out of just, wow, this this exists. This happens. I I, I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a really good film. Okay. Really, really well made. I really appreciated it, Chris. But I, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts. We have not talked about it. Sure. How do you feel about this film? Uh, I echo a lot of your thoughts. I, I think if you would just show me this film and say, hey, who made it? You know, I'd be like, this looks a lot kind of like Tangerine. Mm-hmm. You know, is this that Sean Baker guy? Um, 
yeah, I definitely feel like it's a companion piece. He does seem to have kind of a signature style. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see what he does next, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if it does kind of ground itself in reality as much. Yeah, I think one thing that stands out to me, and you, you touched on it, was he's really good at managing tone. Yeah. And like you're saying, this would be wrongly billed, even though I think I've seen it as a comedy you know, comma drama. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I wouldn't even throw comedy out there. No. Yes. It does have some moments of, you know, sure. levity. There are some funny things in it, but just like with tangerine, there were moments of funniness there too, but you kind of question, should I really be laughing? Because yes. then there's some really gritty drama stuff that comes next. But what Baker is able to do is really balance tone to where when he shows you the gritty stuff, I appreciate the fact that he's keeping it real, mm-hmm. but yet he's not, rubbing your face in it to make you feel bad about it. It's not gratuitous. You know, that's the thing. Easily could be. Oh, yeah. There are several moments where I was actually really impressed with the restraint. Yes. Restraint. There was one scene in particular. I won't give too much away, but there was a, it's a physical confrontation between two people. Oh yes. And it was jarring and it was scary. Yes. But yet most of it was being blocked by a bed, you know? So it was like, it was scary enough to know what was going on, but he showed the restraint where he could have gone like some filmmakers do and just say, no, we're going to make this just in oh. your face as brutal as possible. Right. And he didn't. He, he pulled didn't. back. It's almost like we got the view that the kids got the view of, which I think is still troubling. But that's also, I think, what he wanted us to see is he wanted us to see just the same kind of well, viewpoint the kids kid get. That saw that. I know. But the um, kid was also seeing the same view he got, yes. which is they knew what was happening. They didn't see the actual impact of violence directly but they knew exactly what and was I, happening i feel that like scene. that's a definite choice oh, yeah. um because i mean this is an independent film it doesn't have the budget of the last jedi <laughs> mm-hmm. even though we should have it mentioned yet it does have some you know first-time actors or but it does have william defoe in it Which so we need to talk about in we'll moment. get to yes. him mm-hmm. so you know budget is a little bigger yeah um i don't think it was shot on all iphones this time mm-hmm. <laughs> um Cinematography was great in this film. It was good in Tangerine, but it was really good in here. But I feel like it was a deliberate choice with that scene you're talking about to have some restraint because it wanted to have the moment, wanted to make you feel it. But he's caring and not wanting to rub your face yeah. in the grittiness and the violence of what was happening. So yeah. I, I appreciate that. I think it's he's an inter- he's a good example of somebody who really, even though this is his second big film, I think he's made some other smaller ones, but yeah. he really knows how to work tone. I, I, both of his films have done just an excellent job of putting me in. I, I, it's the fly on the wall type of mentality of filmmaking where I just, I feel like I'm, I'm just enveloped in it. I'm there. Sure. And you know, you have to remind yourself sometimes you're not watching a documentary that this right. is actual acting. Granted, I think it's very loose acting. I think it's more set up scenes, let them act, let them do their, do their work on screen and we'll see what we get and put it together. But um, he's definitely got the style and match to give us that true slice of life insight into a population that he feels like is probably ignored, looked down upon, not given maybe the, the attention it needs. Um, but without being preachy either. I mean, never right. in the no. film does it try to preach about here are all these people who live in this situation and what would, should we as a society be doing? It's never that. It's just, nope. This is this is their life. Let's take a look at it for a little while. Let's watch right. what their life is like for a while. That's it. You get whatever judgment you want out of it. I'm just showing you a slice of their life. Yeah. You touched on and I touched on acting. Why don't we try to go down that yeah. path? Um, 
we'll start with William Defoe since he's like the big name in the yeah. film as Bobby. Um, typical Defoe performance, you know, he plays a really bad, evil guy. No, actually, no. this is against he's, type for William. Well, Defoe. you know, but it's interesting. He he plays he, yeah the the manager of the hotel, which I got into a really good conversation with some of our members after the screening last night of this film. To me, it was just. I thought it was a perfect performance. I thought he was I fabulous. I loved it. Yeah. I was actually a little upset the times he wasn't more visible on the screen because mm. I really enjoyed his character. Um, it's a perfect blend between here's a guy who's working for a living. You, know, you kind of got some sense with a little tiny taste of backstory that maybe he's had kind of a rough go of things as well. He's, he's trying to make ends meet himself. Uh, some family relationships seems like they've broken down in the past. So, you know, he's not like this just warm-hearted guy just there to, to help everybody. He's there to do a job. He's got a really tough job. He does. And he doesn't always get a lot of respect from the people around the building either. But you just know without it ever getting sentimental, he really is caring about the people right. in this building. A lot of them he cares about. He, a lot of them he knows really well at this point. And he played that balance so well. Yeah. Being warm but also crusty. I mean, you know, he's doing his job. He has to do his job. But there's that little moments where you just see, yeah, he's watching out for these kids. He knows yeah. he, he is really caring about these people. And he's going to do what he needs to do to try to keep them safe or healthy or whatever he can. It was a great, great performance. I, I, I went in knowing that there was some Oscar buzz around him for Best Supporting Actor. And I'm like, yep, absolutely. He needs to be on that list. There's no doubt in my mind right now. I would totally agree. I, I yeah. really hope – I hope he's – he is on the list for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. So we've talked about Defoe. Well, let me just say one other oh. call-out scene with him. Okay. I thought the sequence, and there again, I won't, won't go into too much details of it, the sequence where he is confronting someone who visits the hotel that probably should not be there. Yes. And the way he handles that visitor, it's really, really well done. I mean, both as a character and the way it's, it's presented. You realize who that visitor is? No. That, uh, okay. This won't ruin anything. Yeah. I'll dance around specifics, but, um, that actor is Macon Blair, professional oh, actor it? from blue ruin. Yeah. Yeah. And and green room. He was in green room too. So, yeah. Oh no, no, I think we're thinking of talking about a different visitor. Oh, I know oh, which you're visitor talking you're talking about. The, about. Okay. You're talking, I'm, I'm talking about the, okay. the dangerous visitor that, well, yes. I mean, they're all kind of dangerous, but, but no, the one okay. in particular <laughs> yes. that he has to move away from yes. one area of the hotel. And he gets he gets a drink at a soda machine. Yeah. Okay. Yes. okay yeah. I know who you're talking one. about. Yeah. The other one I, yes. I saw okay. that was Macon Blair. Gotcha. No, this one, the way he handled this individual, gotcha. uh, you know, I, I can't even describe it without spoiling it, but just, it was a brilliant, not only written scene of how he's handling this, this individual that he sees as a possible threat to the children or anything else, but just the way Willem Dafoe plays it too. Oh, yeah. It's just, Oh, so good. So I, I loved his performance. It's one of my favorite performances I've seen this year. I'll have to go back and look, but yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. It is definitely one of my favorite performances. Yeah. I'll, um, before we move on, yep. because you, you threw out a favorite scene. Um, I'll say probably one of my favorite scenes from the movie. Um, and he doesn't even have any dialogue, mm-hmm. but um, it's dusk. At the hotel, he's yeah. standing on the balcony and he lights a cigarette. And at that moment, 
the rest of the, I guess, the hall lights outside each room kind of come on. Mm-hmm. And it's such a cool, it is a cool moment that's just, and he's kind of, it's kind of the end of his work day. And that was a really, really nice shot. I agree. And the then I, I'll, I'll counter yet another one. Just <laughs> as we're talking about both Willem Dafoe and the shot selections, uh, there's a moment, and this isn't a spoiler, but very early in the film, uh, the power goes out throughout the hotel building. <laughs> right. And they just do a great, solid, wide shot of the hotel where you can see the doorways on all, and just people starting to just slowly come out of their rooms, populating. And then there's Bobby, the manager, <laughs> having to walk across the parking lot to like go figure out what's going on with the power. Just so many great moments. I mean, the location itself was so interesting that they everything was in this area around the hotel, but the hotel itself played a part too. And just a layout of the hotel. And yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. So great. So anyway, yeah, please let's go on to other acting there. So we got to mention, uh, Brooklyn Prince mm-hmm. as Mooney. How, yeah. how did she do for you? I, I thought for a child actor, I thought she was really good. Now I, I will say this. Wow. No, no. I, that I, sounds I, like with a butt. Uh, well, <laughs> good with no, a butt. it's, 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 it was a really good child performance, hmm. but in a film like this, in my mind, where you are letting the kids kind of ad lib a lot of scenes, you could just tell some of the scenes were just, sure. okay, you guys have a burping contest and that's like, okay, we're going to have a burping contest and the kids have, you know, do that. She was really good. She was very natural. And I think for a child actor, yes, it's apt, all the children, child actors were really good. I thought. She was really good. She is a dynamo. She is a, if she is meant to be an adult professional actress, I think she will be a very, very vivacious, energetic personality on screen. Right. Um, But she could also just be a really, really good, like cool kid, like fun (laughs) kid too, that they just happen to get caught on camera for these scenes too. So yeah, I, I was amazed because a lot of the buzz around this film um, has with Defoe, but also mm-hmm. has with her. I mean, she's been on Jimmy Kimmel. She's kind of made her little yeah. circuit of talk shows. And I was thinking, oh, it'll just be, you know, some little cute kid like the Lip Nicky or whatever that was in Jerry Maguire. Oh, right, yeah. But it, kind of that type thing. Man, she was so amazing. <laughs> she was, so she amazing. Was um, and there again, like, maybe she's just a really fun kid. But still to get her who can deliver lines and kind of ignore the camera, just... I think they found somebody really special in her. Um, That's good. And I will say, uh, you know, I I was positive on her. I liked it. Again, I kind of was couching it as a child performance. I will say the last scene, I will not explain. She definitely ratcheted that performance up in my mind, like right away. In that last confrontation she has with a friend of hers, I'm like, whoa. Yeah, her last scene with her friend. Yes. Yes. That was really good. (laughs) So. Yep. I'm still not quite sure how they pulled that off with her. I'm not either. Yeah. Because but. it, it, yeah, for a kid that young, I don't know if she's pulling on personal experience. I, you uh, know, who knows? She was tapping into something. That was, was for sure. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I thought all the acting was good. I thought it was all natural. I mean, I felt like these were real characters, real people. Um, yeah, Defoe's just really is head and shoulders for me. Just great. But I will say I agree. I think Brooklyn, you know, her her performance as a child to be able to, to ignore the camera and be as natural as she was in front of the camera and but also have those moments of real emotion that she had to go to. I thought she was really, really strong. Well and I think of other child actors, I was kinda of throwing that one kid from Jim McGuire under the bus, but <laughs> you think of um Covanjane Wallace that was in Beast of the Southern Wild. Yeah. She was good, but like 
she wasn't, there was so much story built around it that she didn't have to provide a lot of emotion, although she yeah. did. But yeah. like, I feel like Brooklyn Prince as Mooney had to do a lot more heavy lifting, even if it was improv, because it yeah. was, you know, there wasn't a lot of story there, wasn't a lot of plot. But I felt like her, her way to be able to carry off, like, it was like she just really dug it. She has to be a ham. I mean, yeah. I don't see how, oh, yeah. which worked for her character because she yeah. was supposed to be like, you know, the center of attention. And so, yeah. Well, did you, had you, had you read anything, uh, interviews with Sean Baker or hear, reading anything he, uh, in conversations with him? And it was even mentioned in the credits, the, uh, the admiration he has for the little rascals. Hmm. Have you heard of that? No. There's actually in the credits a special block thank you to Hal Roach and some of the other people that helped make the Little Rascals. Okay. Even mentioning like Spanky McFarlane and some of the other key characters. Huh. In an interview, he talked about how with this film, he really wanted to make a Little Rascals because mm. he loved the Little Rascals films. But to put it in a very authentic realism standpoint, which obviously, you know, this did. Right. There are moments with the kids where like, oh yeah, this is totally little rascals. Little kids getting into hijinks. Spitting and, on a you car. Know, spitting on cars <laughs> and having their own like like you never see adults around them. They just seem to be off on their own doing their own adventures. Yeah. That was very much a part of this film. But then when it did transition to what was going on in the adult side of the coin, uh it was it was tough. It was tough in many, many cases. So it was just a, like I said, it was an odd blend of Humor. I mean, we had a lot of people that would chuckle and laugh in the film screening last night. But if you really thought about it, I was like, oh, but, you know, we're laughing and chuckling at moments that are kind of traumatic. It's just yeah. it just so happens somebody says something that can be funny. Right. But the situation they're in when they say it is not, is not funny. Yeah. So it's it was a it's a it's an interesting balance of the emotions that you go through this film. I um, feel like the location scout, which may just be the director, but um, I don't know. I didn't pay enough attention to the credits. They deserve like an old, their own special Oscar because the locations of these hotels in Florida, like they're just very memorable. There's like Orange World, which is like a tourist trap type thing. They're all, the hotels are all brightly colored mm-hmm. and it just really captured Orlando and captured oh, yeah. the whole tourist side of Florida. I will say one of the, the thing that I said with an asterisk of mm-hmm. like 20 years ago, <laughs> I remember as a kid, the one shot they have of the... It used to be a putt-putt golf place. I don't okay. know if it still is, but it had the big magician hat. Oh, yeah. It's like the magician's face sure. with a beard. I went there as a Did kid. Did you? Yes, That's absolutely. awesome. That building was really cool. Yeah, so I don't know if they've modified it now, but it was a putt-putt golf place. Like I, I'm sure it's a gift shop now. I've got pictures. Everything's a gift like shop. A, yeah, so. right. Everything's a, but yeah. it was just really weird. So it was like all, it wasn't yeah. like they, these were sets. No, these are no, no. real oh, I, The places. hotel was a real hotel. It even gave thanks to people at the hotel for letting them use it. Which know, is time, so. crazy, yeah. yeah. But yeah. um. Okay, so we're, we've got to talk about this. We will remain spoiler-free. We've already kind of mentioned it. Oh, yeah. But I want to know your how do you feel about the closing shot of the film? Loved it. Okay. No, I, 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 it, it jarred me for it a few jarring. seconds. It is a little jarring. It jarred me for a few seconds, but once I realized what was happening, I'm like, it's beautiful. This is perfect. Um, and then follow-up, uh-huh. without spoiling anything, do you think it's real? No. Or do you think it's okay? No, I don't. I, I think, yeah, I, I do think that last shot is a fantasy, fantasy. shot. I do. Yeah. Well, and the reason, and again, I can do this without being very spoilery. Sure. This whole film, we're watching children create a fantasy world around them that 
when all of a sudden the veil is lifted and they realize they're not in this magical fantasy land, mm-hmm. their immediate inclination is to go to somewhere that truly is magical and fantastical. And that's what I took from it. We had that conversation with the, at the screening last night. And um, yeah, I definitely think it was a imaginary. I don't know where the two characters were going, <laughs> but in their mind, it in was, their minds, that's yeah. where they were going. Well, it's interesting because there again, I know this is probably irritating, but we don't want to spoil it for you because yeah. <laughs> you kind of deserve the moment by the time yeah. you get to the end of the film. Right. Um, it didn't occur to me that it was probably fantasy. And then I was like, of, well, of course it probably was. Yeah. Um, but you know, that was kind of the magic of the film at that time. Well, so. and let me just, well, no, I'll ask you off camera. I, I can't, <laughs> off it, the question I've got, it will give too much away for okay. that shot, but I do think it's worth people I going in. I think I know what question you're going to ask, yeah, I just, <laughs> which I'm, I asked. I'm just last curious night, from screen. a technical standpoint on, on getting that shot. But anyway, sure. um, yeah, Florida, I really admired again. It's not a film I can say I enjoyed because it is a tough watch. I'd actually have to really think about watching it again because wow. it really tore at my emotions at times. Really? And it really made it okay. tough to watch. I mean, just it, it's, it's, it's kids in a perilous situation mm-hmm. at times. It's kids, uh, you know, surrounded by some really tough, tough things going on. But, um, but it was a very, very well-made film, very well-crafted film. Yeah. Okay. What a, well, I, uh, the last point, and I don't want to, I've said so much glowing stuff about it. You've kind of said that, you know, you don't know if you would rewatch it because yeah. it's kind of tough. So I guess that's kind of a negative for you. Or, oh, well, yeah, that's the only con right. I had is that it's just, it, it's a, it, it might be a one timer for me, right. but uh, you know, that's, that's really it. It's not a fault of the film. It's just, it is uh, if you go in expecting it, uh, the trailer makes it look to be a lighter, than a lo- lot lighter yeah. than it is. And just True. be, be aware. It is a, heavier film for sure um not as heavy as other films we've we've reviewed and talked about but heavier than you probably expect it to be going into it so just it does make it a little tough a tough watch um something that struck me which there again i I think i'm on the same page with you i liked it i wouldn't mind seeing it again actually um but i will say that something i felt the runtime and that sounds like such a you know i've been on record before like long movies Mm. just edit them down it's an hour and 51 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's kind of long. Yeah. And um, I just felt like it was because you you were living with these people, but maybe that's part of it is you can't just escape after 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like you're there for the yeah. full hour and 50. I felt like I felt the runtime. So I, it's I, not a big negative. And I will say one of the biggest thing, and it was towards the end of the film when it was coming on, I was, but there again, this is a positive. I'm turning the negative into a positive. Mm-hmm. I, you should trust Sean Baker because there were shots of Mooney in the bathtub. Yeah. And at first you're like, you're like, okay. And then you're just like, okay, here's another shot. I, I'm, I'm done. This isn't going anywhere. I'm not being advanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's a cute little kid, but who cares? You know, it's just kind of like, okay. Yeah. But then you realize why you're getting these why you're seeing those shots. repeated shots about, and that, that was kind of like, okay. Yeah. No, I, but, I was with you. I, I had a little of the same I was feeling. getting a little antsy. When it kind of came back and kept showing those same cycle, I'm like, all right, you know, yeah, it's, this is maybe a 10, 15-minute block of the film that could have been tightened up a little bit more. But I think when that last reveal happened about what's going on in that situation, I'm like, oh, yeah, that actually, knowing that now, thinking about all the times I saw those shots, I'm like, uh, Yeah. I and get what he's pulling for some there. Yeah. Comment, uh, last thing to note on that shot, kind of the reveal that happens. 
that's an example of, I think, Brooklyn Prince really acting and the director knowing and the cinematographer knowing where to put the camera because mm. a reveal happens and then she you see Brooklyn's face and kind of the framing and mm-hmm. she just kind of holds on her for a little bit and like kind of the disappointment and the registering mm-hmm. with her with like what's going on. Yeah. Man, so powerful. Yeah, it was a really, really well made film. Yeah. Absolutely. I uh I give it a very high recommendation. Um, just, I will say to people, you know, yeah, it's a tougher watch than you might expect it to be. Uh, there are moments of levity. There are some, you know, comedy with kids saying s- silly things and acting crazy and all, but it, it's, it's, it's got a lot going on. There's a lot to process with the film and, uh, some, some pretty s- raw signs of emotion that I didn't know if I expected going into it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's the Florida project. Uh, it's very limited release. I, I it didn't get a wide release from what I understand. But uh, I would imagine you'd probably have an access to see it in the next couple months online um, if you don't live in a bigger city where it may be available right now. So that's the Florida Project. And what we're going to do is take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have some movie news to share. And then we'll end up the show with our recommendation of the episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films. When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh. It's girls talking about stuff, well, girls want to talk about. Celebrities, gossip, fads, boys. It's kind of the guilty pleasure of the Mesh Network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting? Is at the beginning of a new season, when the montage would change and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when you got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. That's an example. Perfect example. You need to know. You can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what? what I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay, that 90210, it changed every season. It you know? did. And then they had the beach summer one where like... Where they the, worked at the country club? Yes, yes. You know, and the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff. And uh-huh. then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... It's all it's even all. Baywatch when they change lifeguards. Absolutely, they had new people running down the beach in red bikinis. But you knew they're a new lifeguard. <laughs> I need to get invested in that. So come have a listen to Chick Chat on the Mesh TV. You know you want to. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV. I'm Alan. This is Chris. We did our reviews earlier in the show of both Star Wars: The Last Jedi and The Florida Project. So what we're going to do now is we're going to move on to some movie news. Just Chris and I both have a couple items we like to throw out there and we'll have a little roundtable discussion about it. Before I do, just as a reminder, you are listening to this podcast on TheMesh.TV. That is a network, podcast network, where we have shows coming out on a regular basis throughout the month that you can subscribe to, new episodes for, or just listen to them on demand on a website or through Apple iTunes. We do encourage people to check us out on either the website, themesh.tv, that's T-H-E-M-E-S-H.tv, or you can search for us on Apple iTunes by searching for either The Mesh or any of the show titles like Foot Candle Films. That way you can find back episodes, you can see other shows on the network, and we do encourage you to subscribe to shows that you like. That way you're ensured that you're going to have a new episode downloaded to your device every time we put one out. We thank, thank you for listening, and I uh, hope you'll check out some of the other shows and episodes we have available. All right, Chris, as we move on to some movie news, um, 
I've got two items that are both a little on the a little on my uh, satisfying a little bit of my geek side. Okay, okay, if that's okay. So let me go ahead and throw out one of them first to get us started. I'm I'm always fascinated by the film studios and the studio business side of things. I think it's interesting to kind of hear when there's deals, when there's acquisitions, when there's mergers, when there's whatever it is. Well, we had a really big acquisition last this past week. So big that I actually heard of it. Yeah, so Chris <laughs> is aware of it, so that must be really big news. Uh, so the Walt Disney Company has I've bought... Heard, I've heard of them. Yes, they, you know, uh, not not directly connected with the Florida Project, although there was a little, little relationship there, uh, has bought 20th Century Fox in their entertainment assets. Now, 20th Century Fox owns a lot of big properties. That's the Fox we talk about. So there's a lot of franchises there that are involved in 20th Century Fox. But now Disney owns them. So who does that include? I include The Simpsons, which is kind of interesting. So The Simpsons are now technically owned by Disney. Yeah, that's um, very interesting. I, could, I would say Avatar. I but the Simpsons episodes will start to disappear from their back catalog. Oh, I know, because they seem to have a pretty good fun time poking fun at Disney oh, yeah. a lot of times. You know, Avatar, which, I mean, you know, if any of us even remember Avatar, I think that was a 20th Century Fox property that is now owned by Disney, which Disney's already started building that, that uh, into their theme parks. There's already been a little synergy there. It's anyway. like an Avatar yeah. park that's down there. Yeah. That's right. My thing that I was, of course, interested in being a, a comic book nerd guy and, you know, liking this stuff and, and, and enjoying this part of pop culture, knowing that all the rest of the Marvel comic book properties that Disney and Marvel did not own the rights to do films for, they now have. With the exception of Spider-Man still. Spider-Man is still owned by Sony. Mm-hmm. Marvel just has the rights to work with them and help make a movie from it, but they don't own the character rights. Gotcha. But the X-Men, all the X-Men movies, like all the X-Men characters are now part of the big Disney Marvel conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fantastic Four, which Fox has tried twice to make films out of <laughs> fairly unsuccessfully both times. Yeah. Obviously fan culture is saying maybe this is finally the chance in a few years. We'll actually see a really good fantastic four movie. Who knows? Deadpool, which was a huge moneymaker for Fox. Disney owns Deadpool. Disney that owns Deadpool. Really bizarre. Here's the biggest question mark is the Deadpool There's sequel. Already a Deadpool sequel. That's and, underway and will be yeah. released next year. Um, will it remain rated R? I mean, it's a question now because it technically will be a Disney film. Right, because Disney with the Marvel things relates to you know, PG-13, yeah. but they've never done R. That's right. So some interesting questions from it all. Um, I, you know, I'm trying to be very pragmatic about it. I, I see both positives and negatives. From a fan service standpoint, yes, am I happy mm-hmm. to think that all of my favorite Marvel characters are now in this one big universe and they can all talk to each other and interact and all that? Yes, it's great. I'm happy with that. From a thinking from a, you know, true business standpoint, this is getting a little scary (laughs) because basically every character franchise that people love and all that is starting to all being held under one corporation. So, you know, it's not to a monopoly status yet. We've still got some other big players out there, but man, it's, it's getting, it's, it's crazy how big Disney is getting in this entertainment field with all these characters and movie rights right now. So anyway, didn't know if you had any thoughts on it, but I'm, I'm I thought it was interesting. It's I don't think that, I see any 
I'm kind of the opposite of you. Like, I don't care. I, I'm just scared by it. I think really? it's a bad thing. Yeah. Okay. I think it's bad. I don't see any good to it at all, actually. I just see bad. Yeah. I think Disney was already big enough. Um, but I'm not, you know, I, I'm kind of done with comic book movies a lot of times anyway. <laughs> um, except we'll get to another news item here in a second. But, um, yeah, I, I just think it's bad. It, it scares me. I, when Disney bought Marvel, I was like, okay. And then the next, did they buy Marvel first or Star Wars first? I can't remember. I don't remember. But it was like, it didn't matter. Yeah. When they bought one, I was like, okay. And then they bought the other, I'm like, oh my gosh. It's like, yeah. what is happening? So, yeah, yeah, Marvel owns Star Wars, the Indiana Jones um, oh. characters. Yeah, I think it's They that. own all the Marvel characters. Right. They own the Simpsons. They own, of course, all their own Disney characters. Sure. I mean, it's it's huge. Yeah, I'd, and don't get me wrong. I, I like, you know, Disney things. I liked Coco that I saw recently, but I just... I I do fear that. <laughs> you know, again, for me, I do still enjoy the comic book movies. I enjoy the serial serialized fiction form of here's a story that's going to continue with another story down the road, and there's some interconnection. I love that. That's to me. That's that's a a grown up bigger version of comic books to me. You know, instead of reading an issue every month that I know is going to continue a story, I'm watching a film every few months that is going to continue this bigger story. I like that. That's to me. It works for me. And I love the idea that they have even more characters to play with, but I, I, I do just get worried anytime there is a conglomeration of things where you don't have different studios controlling different, I mean, controlling different paths for these characters. It's really all one studio now. Right. That does start to get a little intimidating. So I would agree. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be like healthcare systems. It's going to be like department stores where I think we're just going to see more and more studios drop off and become one major big studio. So do we really want the Walmart target version of film studios where we basically have two big studios doing all the work that we that we watch? I, yeah, I'm not crazy about that at all. Well, and I'm not either. And I think, you know, we did have a studio system at one time mm-hmm. and then it kind of went away and I mean, it was still there, but you know, there sprang up all these little upstarts and then those have been bought up. Um, but we still have things like, I think focus is the division of something else, but a 24, you know, so there's these independent the Florida, ones which that are did great. The Florida project. They did. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just hope there's always going to be the people that'll be like, I can't get my film made. I'll make it myself. And somehow they'll succeed. I know. It's just, you know, even those small independent studios years ago, there were several that started up and they either got bought or consumed by others too. So it's just, it, it is worrisome. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the creative choices they make with films with these new Marvel characters in the mix. But I also am concerned about what it means for the film business in general. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Chris, what, what, uh, what, what do you have on your mind right now these days? Well, as we come to the close of 2017, no, I'm not going to give you a top five list or top 10 list of the, we'll do that later <laughs> in mm-hmm. other episodes. Um, but I often look ahead to 2018 and say, what are the films that are coming, going to come in 2018 that I'm really excited about? And there's some that we've talked about here on the show. And I'll mention those really quickly. And then there's some that we haven't talked about. Um, some that we've talked about that are coming in 2018, supposedly yep. things change. 
The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. <laughs> Finally, Terry Gilliam's yes. film is going to come out. Annihilation. Do we have an actual date on that now? I, we don't have a release date, but we actually have a poster, and there's like details. All right, so we're really it. close so it's, then. It's, yeah. I know we talked about it like one of our last two episodes, but uh, right. Yeah, okay. no, it's, right. it's supposedly, I think film filming has wrapped on it. So it's like okay. um, Annihilation, which is the follow-up, yes. Alex Garland's follow-up to Ex Machina. Have you seen the trailer for that? Probably not. No, and on purpose I haven't. I know you haven't. Um, uh, Natalie Portman. Oh, yeah. Um, sci-fi. Huge cast. Um, I saw the trailer yesterday because I was curious. Okay. And uh, I'm very curious now about this I film. will avoid the trailer at all costs. If it, the only way I will see it is if it plays in front of a movie that I'm in the theater for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's that. So no, it's, I, it's, a, it's a much different film, looking to be a much different film than I expected from him. Okay. I'll just say that. Okay. So uh, those two, Isle of Dogs. Is oh, scheduled yeah. to come out in 2018. That's, uh, That's Wes Anderson's movie. Stop motion. Stop motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, return to that. Of course, we're going to have the, we've talked news item wise, but Solo is coming out. Ron Howard's now taking over the individual. Ron Star Howard, the, the dynamic filmmaker, Ron Howard. I, I, I can't. Hey. He's fine. He's good. It's just, again, Ron Howard is the, the, the easiest choice they could have made for this for the. Other than giving another one to J.J. Abrams? Well, um. that's true. I'm, I'm about <laughs> feeling the same way about J.J. Abrams. It's kind of, right. that's a safe bet. Like, right. all right, we need a safe bet. We are, we, we're in Vegas, and we need the safest roulette bet we can make. All right, we're putting it all on Ron Howard. Which, that's, that kind of touches on your last news item. Yeah. That's what I'm afraid of, is established filmmakers get all this big stuff and you know, nothing is ever unique yeah. or anything because it all gets homogenized. Although Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson was great. And of course, did we even mention the fact about Ryan Johnson being awarded a whole new trilogy, star Wars trilogy to work on? Right. Which I think is awesome. I mean, a, that, that, you know, bode well for him in performance, the last Jedi, but also, uh, you know, to me is they just got a lot of confidence in what he has a vision for. And I love the idea that it may be a completely new trilogy that may not have anything to do with these main characters we've been following for nine, almost nine movies now. So right. yeah. Anyway, continue please. Um, so another one that I don't think you've heard of. Mm-hmm. So let me, I'll start. Well, let me try finish, me, try me. Let me, let me finish touching mm-hmm. on the ones that we have kind of talked about. Um, Halloween, as but done by David Gordon, David Green, Gordon Green and Jamie Lee Curtis, that is slated to come out in 2018. Hopefully in October. Normally, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. normally I wouldn't be excited about a horror movie, but we've talked before. You get David Gordon Green. Sounds on very it, interesting. On um, so those are the kind of one. A lot of the ones we've we've talked about. Um, Fahrenheit 451 mm-hmm. by Ramin Barani. That's supposed to come out in 2018, based yes. on a Ray Bradbury book that sure, I like. Very so famous one. Excited yeah. about that. Um, so we talked about, or I mentioned Beasts of the Southern Wild. Mm-hmm. That guy hadn't done anything in a while. Right. Well, he's been working on a movie called Wendy. 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 W-E-N-D-Y? Yep. Okay, like Supposed the girl's come, name. Yep. And listen to the plot synopsis. Okay. A young girl is kidnapped and taken to a hidden ecosystem where a tribal war is raging over a form of pollen that breaks the relationship between aging and time. Woo. So it's kind of like Peter Pan. But yeah. told from the perspective of Wendy and Ben Zeitman, oh, who did Beast of the Southern Wild, is doing right. it. I think it's going to be amazing. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> there, was a, there was a movie that came out two years ago, I think, just called Pan. Yeah. That was basically right. a mess. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But this, I think, the guy's got the visuals down, but he's enough to ground it in reality. So like Beast of the Southern Wild, I've just... 
I don't know. I think yeah, it's going to be good. You're right. I had not heard about that right. one. So, so that, interesting. That's a good one. Um, then I know you've heard of this franchise, which normally I don't anticipate franchise movies other than Star Wars because mm-hmm. I can't help it. Ocean's Eight. Yes. I've heard of that as well. Okay. Yeah. So you're like, no, but it's done by a different director. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's Gary Ross who you're like, uh, he did one of the Hunger Games movies. He did one of the Hunger Games movies. He did uh, Pleasantville. Yes. Um, and uh, I think he did Seabiscuit too. He did. Yeah. So I'm not that big on Seabiscuit. Yeah, but I, I'm not big on any of those films, terribly high on them, but they're good films. I mean, you know, they're, they're not bad films, so... I think what's got me excited about that, it's called Ocean's 8, but let me read you the plot description. Debbie Ocean, a criminal mastermind, gathers a crew of seven other female thieves to pull off the heist of the century at New York's annual Met Gala. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, they're basically doing with the Ocean's movies what they did with Ghostbusters. Yes, but the cast on this, Sandra Bullock, Kate oh, yeah. Blanchett, Helena Bonacarver, Anna Hathaway, Sarah Paulson, Rihanna, Minda Kaling. I mean, Dakota Fanning. <laughs> and I think it's, the thing is, because cast. it's not trying to go off and be a comedy, I'm thinking maybe it is more a heist film. Whereas yeah. I think that was the problem with Ghostbusters. You're revamping something some people are so familiar with and it's beloved. Like, well, I don't know. I think Ocean's 8 could be You see, re- think re- about re- it too. Ocean's 11, the Soderbergh version, was a remake. True. So it's already True. been done. They've already recycled it. They've already, True. So it's like, you can keep rebooting that all you want and with different slants on it. Uh, that's fine. Ghostbusters is just that one classic film that people had in really such high regard that the idea of revamping it to begin with was kind of a sacrilegious. So that was unfortunately the path that film went down, even though I still thought it was fine, but, um, ocean date. No, I think it sounds great. You know, Sandra Bullock, haven't seen Sandra Bullock in a lot of things recently at all. No, um, not since Gravity. I think that's right, Gravity was the last one. And then the the rest of the cast, I'm the least excited about Sandra Bullock because I've never thought she was a great actress. Hmm. But everybody else you listed off is like, oh, yeah, I definitely would like to see them in that film. So I think it would be great. I think it will be really good. Last one I'll mention really quick, and I can't help it, but it's just easier because I'm lazy to read the plot description. Uh, sure. <laughs> but – um. The Ballad of Buster Scrubs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. 2018 release, supposedly, I think that's the title, from the Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. And this is what they have so far as a plot description. Six-part omnibus film weaving together different stories of six different individuals in the Old West at the end of the Civil War. One follows a singing cowboy. Another is like a drifter that... Um, owns like crazy dogs and he gets involved in a bank robbery. Like it just, and the descriptions go <laughs> sounds on. like yeah. a Coen brothers. It's just, yeah. yeah, yeah it's series like, of films. It's yeah. like Pulp Fiction done by the Coen brothers in the old wet. Yep. I'm, I'm good. I'm so Cause there. I really liked their true grit. I thought that yeah. was really good. Yeah. So I'm happy to see that. No, I had read about that and that sounded okay. really great. So now there are going to be some interesting projects coming up for sure. Absolutely. Hopefully they will all get released in 2018. I hope so too. <laughs> I hope so too. Chris, I've got one last thing, and it's not really a, necessarily a news item. It's more rumor-based, which I don't, you know, I don't really like trafficking too many rumors on the film stuff. But, but it has got me up on a soapbox a little bit. Okay. All right. Batman. I've heard of him. I do not, not owned like. Not by Disney. Not owned, not owned by owned Disney by yet. I do not like Ben Affleck. I'm not crazy about Ben Affleck as Batman. Okay, so I'm just we, we talked a little bit about we that have. in our Justice League. I am not yeah, especially Justice League. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was the worst. <laughs> so I'm ready for him to be gone. Okay. I need a new Batman. Okay. 
I think Warner Brothers and DC want a new Batman. Really? I think okay. basically they are on the outs with Ben Affleck from everything I've read. he was supposed to be doing an independent standalone Batman. Well, he was supposed to be writing, directing it, and starring in it. Now oh, he's no, I didn't know he now, was doing all three of them. Now he's no longer writing or directing it. Uh, he's just supposed to star in it. But now he's saying he may not doesn't want to star in it either. <laughs> Matt Reeves who did uh, the started the new Planet of the Apes trilogy, that oh. Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other films he's done. He's, he's good. He, he's, 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 a, he's a better filmmaker than I think some of the filmmakers they've put on these DC movies up to this point, for the most part, except for Wonder Woman. Um, so he's going to be the one writing and directing the new Batman standalone film. And may or may not have Ben Affleck. In well, he doesn't want Ben Affleck is what the understanding ah. is. He's actually wanting a new Batman. Okay. And Ben Affleck, I don't think, really wants to do it anymore either. So we could be in the market for a new person to play Batman. Now, here's why I'm excited, Chris. So it would be like when we read, read the list of all the people going up for Han Solo. Yep. Yeah, okay. That's so right. Let's hear it. But him. I've got a favorite. <laughs> oh, no, okay. I, I know we only need to talk about anybody else. <laughs> Okay. I read this article. Somebody posted an opinion. And as soon as I saw the headline, I'm like, yes, make this happen. John Hamm. John Hamm needs to be Bruce Wayne in Batman. I'm sorry, but it's perfect. He's definitely got the Bruce Wayne part oh, down. Yes. Now I'm trying to think about the Batman side. I, hey, look at the last couple of Batmans we've had. All right. Christian Bale was a really good Batman, but he was a very different type of Batman. You know, I never thought Christian Bale ne- necessarily had the, the, the body frame for Batman. And he, there were just parts of him. It was his own take on a Bruce Wayne character. You know what? I think I'm going to, I'm going to, it would be perfect. I think, you know, I was worried about like, I guess the physicality of Batman and kind of the shift between the two, which you're right. I don't think, yeah. um, I don't think others have really. I mean, Michael Keaton did a great job, but, but Michael Keaton played Christian Bruce Bale Wayne. Didn't really do the shift very well. Um, Michael Keaton was a very unique Bruce right. Wayne and Batman, but he pulled it off. Right. Um, you know, I thought George Clooney for the horrible movie he was in was actually somewhat oh, decent yeah. as a Batman. No, he would. Val Kilmer was not very good. I didn't think. Um, but you know, John Hamm. Think about John Hamm in the last portion of uh, Baby Driver. That's about what I was trying I mean, to think. Can he be dark? And intense, like, yeah, baby, dark, driver. and yeah. kind of intimidating and scary. I mean, he pulled it off. Okay. So I'm ready for this to happen. I'm ready for this to happen now. I'm like, show, give me a really good new standalone Batman movie. Yeah. Give me Matt Reeves, which is fine. Sounds like uh, he's a good director. I thought the uh, initial. Rise, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, or whichever one was the first one. What was the first one? I don't, the names are so. I confusing. think it's Rise. Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I think you're was right. the first one he did, which is good. Um, and John Hammond's Batman man, do it, bring it on. I even say we need a we need a Twitter hashtag. Okay. Okay. Bat Ham. B a t h a m m. I need people to start posting. What do you do on Twitter? You do hashtagging. Yeah. Yeah. Bat Ham. Okay. It's like that's it. Bat, okay. Bat Ham. Will, it will have started here yes. on the B-A-T-H-A-M-M. Mesh. Pound sign, B-A-T-H-A-M-M. Okay. I'm going to start using it. Bat Ham. Bat Ham. Uh, I thought, you know, I could say, yeah, what was another one I came up with? There was another one I came up with. I don't remember. But, yeah, Bat, Bat Ham seems to be the best, the best I, fit. I like Bat Ham. I'll support that. Okay. I think we need to make this happen. John Ham is searching for his big role. He did the TV role. Yep. He kind of made that happen with Mad Men. He has not had a big movie role. Baby Driver was a good, interesting role for him, but it's not one that made him a movie star. 
This will make him a movie star. Oh, yeah. This will do it. <laughs> Whether okay. he wants to or not. That's this will right. Make him a movie star. And supposedly he is actively campaigning for the part. Really? No, oh, yeah. Okay. He wants it bad. I forgot to mention that. I should have led with that. Even though he and Ben Affleck are friends, they've worked together. They did, uh, hmm. what was the film, The Town, okay. that Ben Affleck did that John Hamm was in also? Okay. But John Hamm is supposedly quoted as saying, This is all business. I want that part. And he is actively <laughs> campaigning. Even Matt Reeves kind of wants. John Hamm. Okay. So this could absolutely happen. That sounds awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> so anyway, cool. that's my deal. So that's our news items. You know, we talked a little business. We talked a little anticipation for 2018. And then we talked a little bat ham. So perfect. Very <laughs> exciting. Chris, we always close out our show with our recommendations. This is a film that we encourage people to go back and check out. And, uh, you know, whether we just caught up with it recently or just something we remembered or kind of came into contact with that we want to make sure people have a chance to go out and see or hopefully pull up online uh, and see easily. So, Chris, what recommendation of film do you have for us on this episode? Um, I'm going to recommend T2 Train Spotting. It's one of those films that came out, didn't have a chance to see it, didn't come to the theater around here, didn't just didn't get a chance. And I finally caught up with it as I'm trying to dig through movies and summarize what I think are the best movies of 2017. I was like, oh, yeah, a sequel to Trainspotting came out, and I never saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've seen Trainspotting and you liked it, mm-hmm. uh, this movie would probably appeal to you. If you did see Trainspotting and you hated it, you probably don't want to see this. Uh, it is it is different, though. Okay. Um, the well, first, I was going to ask you how much it's continuing the same kind of kinetic style and just, you know. Some uh, of the kinetic style is still there, but it's more – it's interesting how they – reflect upon things that happened in the first movie this is 20 years later Mm -hmm. but you've got all the same characters you've got mark you've got begbie you've got spud you've got sick boy they're all still there but you know things have changed in 20 years Mm -hmm. and um it's just interesting to see it's kind of like a coming of age movie but coming of middle age (laughs) because before they were all young you know teens or not maybe Mm -hmm. 20s you know early 20s and now they're like you know 40s 50s and it's kind of like okay now life has hit you have you moved on have you been able to move on what is happening in your lives and it's just it's really really fascinating and one of the most interesting sequels that they bothered to make i'm Mm -hmm. it's based on some books that were written so i guess that's how they had the material but just daring that, and Danny Boyle directed. Mm-hmm. So you know he directed the first one. Yeah, which I thought was really great to see him come back to it for sure. Yeah, and he he did a great job. Would they, you know, if he decided to do a Train Spotting three, I'd be interested to see it because there are some surprises um, in the film. So mm. I I liked it, but if you you know it, it is gritty, it does have you know language and so like so not a family film, not to sit down over the holidays and watch it with your family, but yeah. I really liked it and was surprised I liked it as much as I did. Yeah. Um and actually, you know, I feel like the first one it makes me want to reevaluate train spotting. I liked it, but I haven't seen it in a really long time. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there's a lot there other than the kinetic camera work and some of the mm. flashiness of it, which I liked at the time, but now I'm wondering is there much more substance there? Well, so. Train Spotting is one of my favorites. I, okay. I love it. I'm actually kind of scared to watch the second one just because I like this first one so much. I'm just worried. <laughs> but hearing you give it a, a positive review makes me say, yeah, I can go out and venture out and try it. So uh, I, I just think Train Spotting hit me at the right time when it came out. I was at a point, it was you know, after college, 
I'm, I'm a few years after college and I'm starting to kind of really dig into a little more interesting type of cinema. And that one came along and just spoke to me at a good time. So I, uh, definitely want to need to check out the sequel. I just, I've been a little hesitant to do it, but, but your, your, your recommendation has helped well, move it up the chain a little bit. And I understand your hesitancy. Just the fact, the gall and the guts to call it T2. Yeah. Uh, like amazing. Like, uh, because it's like riffing on the whole channel. Oh, but yeah. that's, it's an aggressive take on nostalgia. Yeah. And that's kind of what's really impressive is, yeah, just the way they reference things that happened in the other movie. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, hey, I definitely recommend it. Okay, so. cool. Awesome. So for my recommendation, I know, Chris, it is one I'm pretty sure you recommended years ago. I'd be shocked if you did not. Okay. And I have not checked your letterbox list to see if it falls on there or not but regardless i'm still going to recommend it mainly because it just ties in nicely with what we're talking about earlier in the show okay you know we mentioned ryan johnson obviously was the director of the last jedi you're recommending star wars a new hope (laughs) yes in case anybody (laughs) is not familiar with that film (laughs) um and we talked about how ryan johnson also is being rewarded now with a new trilogy of star wars films that he's going to get to go and take and run with He's going to be writing all three of them and at least directing the first one of this new trilogy. So I'm sure more details of that will come out soon. So it got me thinking as I'm prep, as I was prepping for The Last Jedi and thinking about Ryan Johnson in general. I know we reviewed um, The Brothers Bloom on the show. I do we remember did. that. I know we reviewed um, Looper also. I don't think we reviewed Brick. No. Because I think our show started after Brick had come out. But Brick was his first big feature film. And... Um, it's one of those I remember watching at the time and I was really impressed by it. I don't think I loved it. I just was impressed by it. But I did want to go back and revisit some of it. And I have I didn't get to watch the entire film over again, but I've at least seen parts of it and remembering kind of the parts I liked and what I admired about the film. And I just I think it's really fascinating to go back and watch because what you're seeing is you're seeing some building block foundations of this filmmaker and seeing some things he was trying very creatively and inventive back in the day. I say back in the day, it was 2006, but still 2005, 2006, somewhere in that time frame. Basically brick is, is all about a, uh, it's a teenage loner who's played by Jordan, uh, Gordon, uh, uh blah, Joseph Gordon Levitt. always mess up his name. And it's played almost like a, uh, a, a film noir, but set in modern day teenage high school environment. So he's pushing his way into the underworld of a high school crime ring to investigate the disappearance of his ex-girlfriend. It's a high concept film, but it's pulled off really, really well. I mean, you know, you have to remind yourself sometimes that you're watching something that's played as a very big concept because once you get into it, it just starts to flow very naturally. And it's really interesting taking the world of high school and how do we, uh, yeah, the, the the underbelly of high school, the, the the criminal activity that may be going on, and playing it like a straight film noir. Like he is the he's the private dick detective. He is doing the voiceover in his head of what's happening, trying to work through this case of a missing missing person. Um, it's just great. I mean, it's just yeah. I love films that just try something new, and I think Ryan Johnson early on was trying something new. And even though I probably like The Brothers Bloom a little bit better. And maybe Looper I like a little bit better too. I think the foundation's here for a really innovative filmmaker. And I think if you know if you if you liked Last Jedi, if you're excited about his new trilogy coming out, do yourself a favor and go back and watch his first real feature film and see some of the early foundations of him really putting some stylistic touches on what he's working on. So he wrote and directed the film, so it's uh, I definitely think it's worth checking out. That's Brick uh, from 2005. 
All right. Good recommendation. So great. See, a couple films there we want to make sure people are checking out. And uh, one, you know, a little bit of a throwback. One is a, a, uh, a sequel to a throwback film as well. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show. We had successful reviews of both Star Wars The Last Jedi and The Florida Project. And we had then moved on to some movie news. And we capped it off with our recommendations. Chris, if somebody has heard the show and said, I've got something to say to those guys, or <laughs> I disagree with their take on The Last Jedi, how would they go about reaching us? Send us an email at info at the mesh.tv and just put foot candle films in the subject line. And yeah, reach out to us that way. Al and I both have accounts on Letterboxd, um, so you can see what films we may be watching, and we try to give short little reviews on there every once in a while. Um, I would say, too, if you want to check out our past episodes, we've mentioned TheMesh.TV is where you see some of our episodes. Mm-hmm. However, if you go, you really want to like dig all the way back into our archive, probably the best way to do that is to go, like you mentioned, to iTunes, and they've got episode one, which was Win-Win. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, the film back Win-Win the back in... Uh Gosh, what was, it was that? A while ago, two thousand ten, nine, ten, either nine or ten. Yeah. So, but Ooh. they've got they've the archive of all of our episodes is available on Apple iTunes for sure. So, and if you're there, you know, digging into the archive, why not leave us a nice star rating? That yes. would be awesome. And don't forget hashtag Batham. Right. B a t h a m m. And make sure you put two m's on it because Mr. John Ham. Only rolls with two M's. That's right. So that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening again. This has been Foot Candle Films on TheMesh.TV. And uh, thanks for listening. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.